0: when Dalton said you had the best of the best, I figured he's going to take me up on my offer of just reading this for me and I wouldn't have to speak, but you see he sat down. So if someone was to ask you this morning, who is Anthony? Well, most of y'all probably can describe me. He's that big, bald guy. Well, there's, there's probably about five of us big, ball guys running around here, so we got to do a little better than that. There's that guy with the big gray beard, who used to have a really big beard. Some would say award winning beard. Somebody say he's April's husband, John and Abigail and Allison's dad. I've been called many things in my life some good, some bad. Nicknames like Big A, A Nana, Aunt, which is confusing if I'm an uncle. You call me Aunt. I' been you <clears throat> know the bad ones will let you use your imagination. So let me tell you, tell you a little bit about myself this morning. When I was a young kid, I was shy and quiet. I know some of y'all that may come to be a shock to you, but I had trouble speaking. <clears throat> I had trouble with words, just the ones, not all of them, just the ones that used the alphabet. When I did speak. The only person that understood me was my mom. Of course, as I grew, the alphabet got better, but I still had trouble with some parts of it, like ours that sound like W's and so on and so forth. Because the alphabet and I had difficulty with one another, my reading wasn't so good, which led to a hard time learning, which is probably why I failed first grade and then second grade. I struggled with not only reading, but spelling. Both these things used the alphabet, my nemesis, but numbers was a different story. Math didn't use the alphabet, at least not yet. After failing fell in second grade, I was pulled out of regular classes and put into special classes. 15 years ago, you have been hard pressed to get this story out of me. What's changed? Well, a lot's changed. Let's just talk about a few of them this morning. Second Corinthians twelve nine it says my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So, I'll, so now I'm am glad to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. If we look in Numbers chapter twenty two verse twenty eight we're just going to take the first part of that. It said then God gave the donkey ability to speak. You know if God can open the mouth of a donkey. What can he do with me if I let him? If God can use me to teach and speak, then surely he can use anyone. But as a kid and a young adult, I was ashamed of my struggle with reading and spelling. But now I embrace it. Not that I don't try to spell things right. As hard as I try, sometimes me and Google just don't get along. So much so that not long ago, My wife tells me, I can't add new words to our dictionary because we shared the same Google account. I was like, I ain't adding new words to our dictionary. She goes, yes, every time you hit that check mark, you're telling Google to take that new spelling and put it in our dictionary. I simply simply said, well, I thought I was just saying, okay, I know it's spelled wrong. Let's use it go on about our business. So then we spent the next few minutes of me trying to speak to Google and Google trying to understand me. It was quite hilarious. If I'm going to be in a text conversation with you for any period of time, then I usually send out a disclaimer. The disclaimer reads, I often misspell words, use words spelled, use the wrong spelling for the meaning. I send messages before I read them. This will happen often. Please do not be alarmed, as I sometimes text with a King James keyboard. I also send out texts with words left out. I say them in my head, but my fingers refuse to type them. Please be advised and take necessary steps to fill in any holes I left in my text. And if you can't make any sense of it, just send me a question mark. Some of y'all have gotten that that disclaimer. Let's look at a, a disclaimer Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians about God. Chapter 1, verse 25, it reads, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In the context, starting at verse 18, Paul is talking about about the salvation through Christ on dying on the cross and his resurrection. But I tell you, when I got to that verse, when I got to verse 25, I had to stop, hit the brakes. And I said, what? Did Paul just say God was foolish? Well, no. After reading it a second time, I realized... That many times I've called God foolish. We'll get back to that in a minute. As a kid, I remember being brought to church. Probably my normal quiet self for the most part. I was a good kid. I didn't cause any trouble on my own. At the age of 14, I to Jesus as my Savior at youth camp. I know this because I remember at the very moment I to him, I felt his Spirit come over me. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38 Peter tells them repent and be baptized everyone for the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I remember receiving that gift because there have been many times in my life that I questioned that moment if I was saved but he always reminds me of it. So I was saved now what well that was the problem I didn't do anything. So I didn't start growing in my faith. You see, I accepted Jesus as my savior of who he was, the Son of God. I asked for forgiveness for my sins, but I never truly made him Lord in my life. I never chose to follow after him. I didn't choose to follow him daily. We, look, we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, Jesus told his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. 25, it says, if you seek to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We see in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it echoes the same words. You know, somebody told me back then that I I had to put in some effort. I missed it. I wasn't growing in my faith. And as a result, I stayed the baby in my faith for a long time. When you're first born into this world, you don't choose to grow. You just grow. You, know? you don't choose to learn how to eat. You just eat. I've, I've learned both of those pretty good, right? I didn't learn it. I, just, I didn't choose to do it. I just did it. But as a Christian you got to choose to grow. At some point, I wasn't being brought back to church anymore, and I wasn't choosing to go. Moving forward a little bit, it was July 8, 1991. I was 19 at the time, and it was the start. There was the money, and it was the start of a terrible week for me. Every day, something bad would happen. Every day, to the point where towards the end of the week, I was like, man, if something don't change, I may not live past this weekend. Thinking to myself, I need a—I need to find somebody to pray for me. Not realizing, still being a baby in my faith, that I should and could be praying for myself. Well, I woke up Saturday morning, was on my way to work. At the time, I was living in Corpus. I was working at the feed store back then. I still am, I guess. You know, it's about a thirty-minute trip. I'm on my way, uh. I woke up for the third time because I drifted off to sleep, and this time I was headed, drifted to the left of the road, and I was headed straight for a mailbox in a ditch. And all I can think of in that moment was my friend's mailbox was made out of steel pipe, and it's done totaled out three different vehicles from it hitting. So I jerked the wheel. I remember in that moment my truck just sliding out of the ditch and shooting across the road. Well. Now I'm headed straight for the other ditch. I'm pretty sure I didn't even lift my foot off the gas. Well, my last plan worked so well, I did it again. Pulled the wheel again. Slide out of that ditch and this time when my back tire hit the road, it blew off the rim, just leaving two pieces of rubber on it. My truck started flipping over. I remember in that moment, time just seemed to stand still. I remember seeing my truck just go sideways. I remember being thrown out of my vehicle. I remember flying through the air thinking, man, this is gonna hurt. I don't remember landing. I remember trying to get up. See, I was thrown three hundred and sixty foot away from my truck from where it stopped flipping and landed on the highway on my right side of my body. And I stayed that way. I went to get up, my arm didn't follow me. So I rode back over, I grabbed my arm and got back to my feet. In the distance, I seen a charter house just as far away from me as my truck was on the other side. So I started walking to it. Walked past one of my shoes on the road. I had one shoe on, one shoe on the road. Walked past my truck, walked down to the driveway Walked down that long driveway. Knocked on the door. Left some blood on their steps. I'm sure they wondered where that came from when they seen it. Nobody answered. So, what now? I guess I'll go back to the road. So I'll turn around and in that moment I seen a house just right behind me. (laughs) All that dude was turning around. I I wouldn't have to walk so far. So I walked back to the road and Get to the road, I looked one way, nothing was coming. I looked the other way, and there was something coming in the distance. So I hatched this plan that I'm just going to stand right here, and they're either going to stop for me or run me over, but I was done walking at that point. Well, the guy did stop, picked me up. Brought me to town got me help. Now, now you tell me. How does a 200-pound guy fly 360 foot through the air, land on the road, stay on just one side, get up, walk away with a broken arm, some scrapes, bruises, and a little bit of glass for an exit? You see, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. That should be obvious. But if I had my seatbelt on, I would have been killed in my truck because my cab was crushed all the way down. So this question started going through my head. Why save me? Right? Because I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be alive. Why save me? Because I knew God saved me. Well, life goes on. I met my wife, got married, started going back to church because that's what my wife said we needed to do. Because I still hadn't grown any in my faith as a Christian. We started coming here to Crossroads with her family. And I started growing a little bit. Then tragedy hit and April's dad died in a car wreck. He wasn't wearing his seatbelt, but he died. So that same question came back to mind, but this time it was just a little bit longer. Why save me and not him? You know, at the time when I was in my wreck, I didn't have nobody dependent on me. I had no family, no kids, no wife. Nobody was dependent on me. Why save me and not him? Not longer after his funeral, it was just a little too hard to come here. So we went back to April's childhood church. But just a few layers later, I found myself out of church again. Not committed. Let's fast forward a little bit to Christmas of 2005. Some of y'all may remember that was the year of Rita. My mom called me late that night, the day after Christmas. And I knew it wasn't good. My mom never called me this late. She proceeded to tell me my sister was shot and killed by the man she's been living with. <clears throat> she was leaving him that day. She was, had a friend there helping her. He shot her, shot the guy helping her, shot herself, killed all three of them. I remember driving the sulfur the next day to go collect some of her things and thinking the same question. God, why save me and not her? She had three kids. They're, they just lost their dad a few years ago in a car wreck. They're orphans. Why well, save me and not her? April and I decided that we would start bringing her kids to their church. And so we did. But soon, for the first time in my life, I was going for myself. Within six months of my sister's death, my dad dies. To say the least, a lot's changed since 05. I lost my sister. My mom and I's relationship was going downhill. She had custody of, her ki- of my sister's kids, and I felt she wasn't doing some things they needed to be done, and so I put a custody suit against her, which tore me up inside. And then all of that, in the midst of all of that, my dad dies me and my dad wasn't close my parents was divorced when I was six but you know you don't lose a parent without it affecting you my mom made some changes I dropped the suit you know life went on but this time this time I was still growing in my faith still going to church Then one day I read this email from a friend of mine sent in to tell me about this new ministry that's just starting in our area, and they want people like me to go to help kick it off, help start it. The name of this ministry was Faithful. I was like, No, sir, you don't need me. No, sir. So I didn't sign up, I was too scared. Few of my friends went and when they came back i seen a fire in them so given the next opportunity my curiosity overcame my fear and i signed up not knowing what to expect but i was weirdly excited you ever been weirdly excited that weekend impacted my life more than i would ever imagine It was the start of a spiritual growth in my life that i've never experienced you see, most of my life I lived in fear, all kinds of fear. I was fearful people would think I was stupid because I had trouble reading and spelling. I was fearful of fitting in. I was fearful of speaking in a microphone. I would physically shake at the thought of it. My heart would pound like I just ran five miles in two minutes. That's, that's super fast if you don't know. Because I wasn't trusting and God's plan. Too many times in my life I was living in fear, not faith. It was at a faith walk weekend when I, for the first time, spoke these words. Whatever you want, God. I love to say since then I, I've lived I like that. But there's, there's times I take control back and I wind up in trouble spiritually. I need daily reminders of 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Every day I need to be reminded that. That at my worst, at his worst, at his weakest, at his very worst, he's still better than my very best. But how often do we tell God he's foolish? God, you want me to do what? that's crazy you know me Lord I can't do that I can't pray out loud with someone I can't pray in public I can't do that God that's foolishness I can't talk to that person about your son Jesus I'm no good with people I can't speak in front of people that doesn't make good sense I'm not smart enough to teach anyone, God. How can I ever tithe? I can barely pay my bills. What have you said to God that says he's foolish? What about some examples in the Bible of, of God's foolishness? What about Noah in Genesis chapter 6? Do you think Noah was thinking this is foolish when God said, I'm going to destroy all flesh on earth? And, oh, yeah, I want you to build this ark, put every kind every. Kind of elm on it, including lions and tigers. You think God, Noah's thinking, man, that's foolish. God, lions eat people. I'm 500 years old. And I'm the slowest guy on that boat. It doesn't make good sense. Chapter 12, verse 1, we find God telling Abram to go from his country of his family. And he will make him a great nation. He said, Abram says, I'm 75 years old and have no children. It's foolishness. Chapter 22, we see God telling Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. Craziness, right? Chapter 37, we see God Joseph, giving Joseph a dream about his family bowing down before him. That's foolishness, right? That'll never happen. What about Moses in, chapter, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11? We see Moses making the same excuses we do. But, but Moses said to God, Who am I to, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out his children of Israel? bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt excuse after excuse after excuse they won't believe me they won't listen to my voice that doesn't make good sense God I get tongue-tied my words get tangled this is foolishness God oh Lord please send someone else does this sound familiar it does to me what are you telling God about his plan for you with your actions or inactions? Maybe your excuse is, well, <clears throat> if you only knew what I've done. Well, we, we've all fallen short of God's glory. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, Paul tells us what God can do with it if we let him. He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now that phrase instrument of righteousness can also be interpreted as weapons. God can turn our mess, our shame, our pain, our guilt, our muck, our arms, our hands, our eyes, or good or bad he can turn all that into weapons weapons of righteousness if we just give it to him allow him to use it for his plan i used to think i had a pretty plain story that no one would be interested in it because it was my normal i lived it It it's no big deal But what I've come to know is God can use my normal, my good, my bad, for weapons of righteousness, foolishness, right? To turn my normal words into powerful ones for his plan, for his glory. A few things I wish someone would have told me grabbed my attention when I was a young Christian. One, it takes a little effort in your relationship with Christ. Otherwise, you stay a baby just pooping in your diaper waiting for someone to clean you up and to feed you. Two, expect to be punched by the enemy every day. If you're, if you're ready to be punched, you can defend against it. You can be prepared. If you're not ready, you get sucker punched. Three, don't go it alone. Before the apostles were apostles, they were regular guys which was called to be disciples, which was then called to be the disciple, disciple others. You should have somebody in front of you pulling you along, somebody who's a little stronger in their faith. You should have ones walking with you, next to you, because almost everybody has somebody following, whether you know it or not. So back to the question I was asking God all those years, why am I still here? Well, it's simple. To live to eternity and glorify him along the way. Instead of living in fear and merely existing, we should live for eternity. Just a few weeks ago, I listened to an interview of a CEO of a company, not not much of it, but a little bit, and the little bit I heard made my heart ache. He said, "We're here for the journey, and in the end, that's all we have." And I thought, "How sad! How sad is that?" Well, thankfully, he's wrong. Thankfully, we have more than just a journey in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? Are you growing in Christ? Or are you just alone for a journey? Are you living by faith or fear? Are you living to eternity or just existing? Are you trying to survive? If only I can get to tomorrow, things will be so much better. That's just hanging on. We can do so much more than just hang on.